welcome back to Trennis Magnus, Jab's Reality. At least, I think this is going to be an episode of Trennis Magnus, Jab's Reality, but there's always an outside chance that Chris Honeywell and I won't be able to get together to record an episode of Weird Stuff, so this could end up becoming an episode of Trennis Magnus, Punches Reality, but... The way that things are looking right now, I'm pretty sure that Honeywell and I are going to be able to get together tomorrow night and record the the next uh, the next episode of Weird Stuff. So I'm going to proceed on the assumption that this is an episode of Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host Magnus, and what I do is, at least in these episodes of Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality, what I do is talk about whatever the hell I want, but. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality as a podcast is all about comics, movies, and TV shows, but that subject matter is not necessarily binding upon Trentus Magnus Jabs Reality, which is kind of sort of the entire point. So, anyway, basically, it was a couple weeks ago I released an episode of, uh, of uh, Trentus Magnus Jabs Reality. This was, it was basically all about INTJ, the, the Myers-Briggs uh, classification INTJ, which for those of you who live out in Rio Tomball, Texas, basically what that means is introverted, intuitive, thinking, judging. INTJ. That's basically what it stands for. And during that episode, I basically went on at some length about how, oh my gosh, this sounds just like me. Paul, 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 Paul. And, uh, a wonderful time was had by all, or at least by me. Listening to that episode, though, I'm not really sure how many INTJ characteristics I ever really got around to discussing between all of the coughing and throat clearing and all that stuff because I just woken up at the time and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so that's pretty much what happened. But the the thing that I came away with on the re-listen of that episode, like I say, was that I'm not really sure how much time I actually spent talking about INTJ and what that is and and all of that. And the thing about it is, guys, partly it's that, like I say, I was waking up and I'm not really sure, like I say, how good a job I, uh, you know, I, I, I really did at that, but at least in terms of describing it. But the other thing you guys need to remember is that you know, the way I typically podcast is that I just turn on the mic and then I just pants my way through it, you know, say the first thing that comes to mind. And there are times when I think that serves me very well. That INTJ episode of Trennis Magnus Jabs Reality I did, I'm not sure how good a job... I don't know. I'm not sure how, how well that actually served me. So, anyway... So, what I decided to do was, rather than describe myself, I thought, you know, it may actually be worth doing to describe some fictional INTJs and kind of give you guys a little bit more of a a common frame of reference on what exactly this is and what it looks like and and all of that stuff. So, uh, basically what it comes down to here is for just a couple of uh, uh, fictional... INTJs that I was uh, that I was able to find. One of the ones that jumped out at me just right off the bat was Harrison Wells from the uh, Flash uh, TV show. And when I when I say Harrison Wells, I mean guys, that can obviously be a little bit of a dicey term. So 
just for the sake of clarity, allow me to emphasize the fact that I'm talking about Eobard Thawne disguised as Harrison Wells in the first season of the show, right? So if that helps you narrow it down, what I've been told by people who are, who at least seem smarter than I am, he's pretty much a cookie cutter example of an INTJ, right? Notwithstanding the fact that he's a villain, as are many fictional INTJs actually. Notwithstanding the fact that the guy's a villain, he's actually a pretty good example of what an INTJ is. So without further ado, and I guess having gotten all of the introductory stuff out of the way, a good example of uh, Wells, which is to say Thawne, in season one of The Flash as an INTJ, goes a little something something like this. Introverted intuition, just in terms of that as a category, right? Introverted intuition. Wells is extremely insightful, as per the episode when Dr. Wells has a theory. He's usually right. Episode number, uh, season one, episode number seven. That's the dialogue. When Dr. Wells has a theory, he's usually right. He sees through Joe's attempt to interrogate him. And I'm actually not going to list off all of these different episodes because that's just going to take too long. Uh, he sees through Joe's, <clears throat> Joe's attempts uh, to interrogate him. Uh, because of the fact that he has a bigger picture of Central City, particularly in the future, his life is basically solely dedicated to creating the character of the Flash and developing Barry into said role. It's implied that Wells allowed the, part, uh, the particle accelerator to explode for the singular purpose of gifting Barry with superpowers as well as killing Nora Allen so that Barry would have an incentive to ultimately run faster for it. So hopefully that makes sense. Uh, in the category of extroverted thinking, Wells has no problem getting rid of people blocking the way uh, to keep his plans uh, moving forward, such as murdering that guy Simon Stagg in the second episode. He continuously pushes Barry to his limits, and when it doesn't produce results, he manipulates Barry into the reactions he wants. Throughout the series, Wells is also able to manipulate everyone into believing that he is crippled. In the category of introverted feeling, this Tumblr page that I found uh, writes, or has written on it, he show he, meaning Wells, he shows little to no emotion and generally speaks in a professional tone. When they do spill into his behavior, they more often than not concern Barry or the persona of the Flash. Wells also has a strong set of morals, which give him personal justification to carry out certain actions for the good of Central City in the future. Next category, extroverted sensing. Star Labs has a very polished and sleek appearance which reflects on Wells' taste for sophistication. We could also mention here the tachyon prototype. Although he isn't much of a risk taker, he can quickly revert to his uh, uh, surroundings for solutions which in that same episode uh, uh, with the uh, uh, tachyon uh, prototype, he's also, uh, he also rigs up a force field trap. So there you go. And that's just a kind of quick and very brief glance at Harrison Wells, at least in uh, the first episode of The Flash. Now, this next entry could be controversial, at least to some people, but, you know, I, I'm reading the, uh, I guess, the writer's, perspective on this and I got to tell you guys I I think there's some this, this has got some disco potential to it 
this next fictional INTJ is Batman. And specifically what we're talking about is Batman as he's presented in the Chris Nolan uh, trilogy, right? And so, first category, introverted intuition. As a general rule, Bruce is happiest when he's working toward a specific goal, and as such, he has a very specific vision of who he wants to be. He's constantly striving to improve the flaws that he sees both in himself and in the world as he gradually builds Batman into the symbol that he intends for Batman to be. I'm going to put this thing on pause and say, uh, you know, guys, for those of you who still aren't getting it, I think a... I think a pretty fair statement would, when it comes to INTJs, a pretty fair statement would be that INTJs, we basically live in our own world, right? And where the rubber meets the road, at least for me with that, is that my entire life, I've always been very content to be left alone and, and I mean literally, left alone and do my own thing whether when i was a kid it was you know uh you know shutting the door to my room and then watching cartoons or when i was a little bit older um shutting the door to my room and reading comics or when i was an adult you know when i lived alone and i could just basically uh listen to podcasts or uh i don't know or or do or, or read read about subjects that matter to me, which I probably don't need to go into here because Trinus Magnus Punches Reality as a franchise is, it's about comics, movies, and TV shows. So if I talk about things that are really too far away from that stuff, I don't know. I might lose some of you, so I don't know. But that was a pretty good encapsulation of, you know, my adult life. You know, basically just uh, hanging out, by myself reading about the stuff that I'm interested in or listening to podcasts about stuff that I'm interested in or, or just whatever, you know? And basically the term laser-like focus really could have been coined by or about an INTJ when they're in their element, when they're studying something that they're interested in. The whole world is just kind of shut out for all practical purposes whatever it is that they're focused on that's the only thing that exists to them you know and so that's definitely true of batman just to kind of tie it all back that's definitely true of batman i would say in general but certainly in the chris nolan movies and so i'm not sure how much i actually agree with all of this but you know this writer again this is a uh, this, actually this is not somebody's tumblr page uh, wait, was that Twitter that I was looking at before, or was that Tum No, it was Tumblr. Okay, whatever. Well, somebody's Tumblr page, but or web page, or fucking whatever this thing is. Um, yeah, there you go. So, they make a good case, is the point. So, anyway, getting back into the uh, introverted in in intuition section, though. It says, Symbolism is important to Bruce, and he, he intertwines it deeply within his goals, as is evidence in his Batman disguise. He places higher value on the big picture than on small details. So, for example, he cares more about saving Gotham City than he cares about his own reputation or even his own health. And, you know, guys, here again, you know, I find this is... I don't know how true this actually is of, of uh, Batman as we see him in the Chris Nolan movies, but it is nevertheless, I think, very true of INTJs in that 
you know, certainly I am a, I'm a big picture kind of thinker, you know, and, um, and of course now examples are kind of failing me, but suffice it to say, yes, this is something that, uh, that I happen to be able to believe in rather, rather easily. So anyway, moving right along, it says he, meaning Bruce, he also has a natural affinity of uh, affinity to foresee what events will unfold as a result of current happenings, immediately recognizing how Harvey Dent's betrayal will impact Gotham and what he will have to do to prevent that outcome. And I'm going to put this thing back on pause and say, you know, guys, here again, you know, this this really is actually uh, introverted intuition. And this is kind of a good example of what I'm talking about. Um, don't want to get too specific here, but this was uh, at some point that isn't today, at some point in the past, you know, I was working at a company and this particular company wanted to, they basically acquired a competitor, right? They, they basically bought out a competing company and what we, were, what we were really doing was buying their clients. You know, we didn't really want their staff or their, their management or anything like that. We just want the clients. Right, so that's the difference, I guess, between a merger and a buyout. This was a buyout. So we bought out their clients, and when I started counting toes, I realized, without putting too fine a point on it, you know, this is not the first time that we've done something like this. No, sir. There had been, well, I don't want to say how many, but there had been a couple of buyouts before this time, and when I really started looking at it, you know, the rate at which we were buying out competitors, I kind of started to wonder, you know, because of the fact that this isn't exactly a super huge industry or anything like that, is it possible that at some point we might face antitrust action from the government? You know, like not now, but 10 years from now, you know, is it possible? And if we in that industry should ever find ourselves on the government's radar, I'm not prepared to say no, guys, you know, at, at the rate that uh, they were uh, acquiring companies. I'm not prepared to say that it'll never happen. I mean, I don't know who, who, who can say, but at least I can at that time. I don't know so much about now, but at least at that time, that seemed like a very real thing to me. I wouldn't have I didn't have any trouble, you know, convincing myself, at least of the possibility, not definitely that it's going to happen. Just that if it happens, well, Uncle Sam is going to have a leg to stand on. So maybe that's the best way to put it. So anyway, moving right along, this little uh, summary thing here says, Bruce's devotion to his goals is so profound that nothing can sway him. And when Raish... Shit, I do this every time. With these movies, you have to pronounce it Raz Al Ghul, tells him that Gotham is impossible to save... He, meaning Bruce, only becomes more determined to achieve his vision. Extroverted thinking. That's the new category. Bruce's primary focus is on getting things done and easily puts aside his emotions in order to make decisions. He doesn't stop his plan to save Gotham or change his reputation in order to win Rachel over. Instead, he lets the relationship go and focuses intensely on the plans that he has laid out. And when it comes to Batman Begins, I guess I can see that. But with the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises, I 
I don't know. I just, I, I'm not sure if I'm, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not, I, it's not that I think this person is wrong, like broadly speaking, but I'm not sure if this is really the best example to use just because goings on with Rachel, those are major plot points of the dark Knight and the dark Knight rises. So I don't know. So whatever, moving right along. Instead, he lets the relationship go and focuses intensely on the plans that he has laid out. He doesn't like to waste time and foregoes his own birthday party without a second thought in order to accomplish something greater. And as another example, he couldn't care less how his gadgets work, but values what they will do for him. And the example that this thing uh, cites is uh, with the tumbler, Bruce asking, does it come in black? Bruce is relatively immune to personal criticism, except when it comes from people that he really trusts, such as Rachel and whatnot. Bruce has no problem delegating tasks, and his organization skills allow, allow him to give the police information and patterns that they can't find on their own, which I think is broadly true. There's something to that. Next category, introverted feeling. Bruce's internal principles are firmly laid out, and he does not violate them to please others. He does what he feels is right, regardless of what Rach regardless of what Roz Al Ghul or anyone else tells him. He is not a people pleaser, and he feels little guilt in rudely turning away his birthday guests or saying cruel things to Alfred. When under extreme stress, Bruce has the tendency to become preoccupied with his own pain such that he fails to recognize the suffering of others. And here again, I find this to be kind of true. I mean, I guess you could say this is like, just to kind of put all this stuff on pause, guys, I guess you could say that this is sort of like the, uh, maybe this is the asshole gene that certain INTJs have. Because if you just read the cold facts of it, yeah, uh, that's kind of a dick thing to do. But it's like, it's something that we're not really completely aware of, you know? So if you just say, just like outright, you know, that, yeah, hey, uh, <clears throat> uh, Magnus it kind of ignores other people's feelings. Well, it's like on the one hand, I can't really tell you you're wrong, but it's it's like on the other hand, you know, it's, it's not something that I at least am always aware of, you know? So, and if you're not aware of it, then, you know, on like a conscious level, then, you know, it, I don't know, is that an excuse? It's tough to say. So anyway, <clears throat> uh, actually, I'm going to put this whole thing on pause. I'm going to take a sip off my Dr. Pepper. At least I'm not clearing my throat a bunch, right? You get the idea I'm not recording this first thing in the morning. <sighs> I'm also going to get it as a reward. I'm also going to... Uh, Get a drag off of uh, my vaporizer here. All right. <clears throat> oh, by the way, uh, for those of you who don't know, which I would assume is probably all of you, um, the 
the uh, liquid that I'm using, uh, this is actually called, it's actually kind of simple really, but it's called Donuts E-Juice, right? And when did this, was I out taking a leak or something when the entire fucking world changed? It's like now these companies can't have websites and everything. Now everything has to be on fucking Twitter. But anyway, their Twitter page is at Donuts, meaning D-O-H-N-U-T-S underscore E-Juice. So at Donuts underscore E-Juice. If you're curious about it, there you go. But basically, it's uh, the little descriptive label on the front here says, A sweet strawberry frosted donut with strawberry jam filling dipped in an ice-cold glass of milk. And I actually find this to be actually fairly descriptive of what the taste of it is. I mean, you get that hint of uh, strawberry flavoring, and there's a this kind of doughy uh, type of, I don't know, like undertaste to it or something, where, yeah, you can kind of view this as like a donut or a cake or some kind of pastry, anyway. And then there's also just this kind of creaminess to it all that's kind of like a glass of milk. So, you know, this is actually a pretty good little description here. A sweet strawberry uh, frosted donut with strawberry jam filling with strawberry jam filling dipped in an ice cold glass of milk. That's pretty accurate, I must say. And this is a is a little bit more of like a premium kind of liquid, which I don't really go in for, but the fucking vape shop that, that I Unfortunately, I have no choice but to go to. They don't really have a whole lot uh, in terms of the uh, uh, the uh, bazooka liquid that I actually flav- uh, favor. Or at least they didn't have much to choose from with uh, the bazooka liquids the last time I was in there. So I guess it comes to the same. So, you know, I actually had to buy a, uh, you know, this uh, donuts e-juice stuff just because I was out of liquid and... Uh, or at least I was out of I was out of liquid that I wanted to vape. Put it that way, right? And so it was either walk away empty-handed, or at least buy something that you know that you're gonna like. Just because I've had this before, so I chose to buy something that I know that I was gonna like because I've had it before. So if you're listening to this and you you vape and you're looking for a recommendation on liquid. Uh, go ahead and uh, and give this donuts e juice stuff a uh, a day in court. I really enjoy it, and I don't know. I I do highly recommend it. What I got, by the way, this is a thirty milliliter bottle, and it's got uh, this is six yeah six milligrams. So anyone interested, thirty thirty milliliter bottle, six milligrams gets me right where I need to be. Strawberry flavored. Donuts, e-juice. Give it a shot. So anyway, getting back into the uh, thing, though, because I've been running my mouth so much. While he does feel acute personal emotions, Bruce doesn't share them with very many people, which I'm going to put the shit right back on pause and say, here again, very true. Uh, I at least am not one to spill my guts and tell everybody my deep, dark secrets and my hopes and fears and dreams and nightmares and all that stuff. You know, I'm just not really the kind to do that. Now, as you sit here listening to my podcast, of which there have been 200 some odd episodes at this point, you might find that actually a little bit hard to believe. But guys, what I tell you is nothing in compared to what I don't tell you. You know, 
the amount of stuff that you guys don't know about me would probably shock at least some of you if you're a if you're a regular anyway it, you might be surprised so anyway and that's just how we are i mean i can't really consciously choose to be that way and i can't consciously choose to be a different way it's just that's how i am so anyway it's not good it's not bad it's just kind of true so anyway bruce doesn't share them meaning his emotions bruce doesn't share them with very many people he has a strong awareness of his own emotions as exemplified by the line my anger outweighs my guilt which aids him in his ability to set feelings aside for decision making even though he sets aside his feelings when making harsh choices bruce does not set aside his moral code and although thoroughly and actually this is actually kind of poorly phrased i'm not sure if i'm parsing this right and thoroughly evaluates the logistical aspects of his choices he also considers his principles so i don't know what the fuck I don't, that's weird bruce is loyal to few causes and people but to those few his loyalty does not waver which is quite true if you've seen the movies so anyway next up extroverted sensing beyond his exceptional focus bruce takes the time to enjoy the beauty in his surroundings such as when he pl uh, he's playing in the waterfall in the bat cave or exploring the grounds under the manor so on and so forth despite this external reactions don't come naturally to bruce and so he has to train himself to always mind his surroundings he doesn't dwell extensively on the past except when under powerful stress such as the years after his parents death and rachel's death and here again i'm not sure i completely buy into this but whatever it's true broadly it's just again those are not really such great examples at the same time stress also causes him to behave spontaneously so it's not natural to him but it but this occurs when he falls into the grip of his inferior function thus his one night stand and the dark night rises so anyway there's some commentary going on here and one of the disclaimers that honestly it does need to be said at least about bruce wayne especially in the uh, chris nolan trilogy one of the factors that's kind of ping-ponging around in bruce's head is undeniably a pretty severe case i would say of ptsd so that's just something to bear in mind this isn't exactly the most pure example of intj but it is nevertheless uh an example that i think a lot of you would be familiar with so there you go uh so let's see moving right along um maybe i should have basically what i'm doing guys is i'm i'm pulling these things up on my phone and the reason i'm using my phone as opposed to my browser is i don't want to take the risk of crashing something or for that matter crashing my entire computer while i'm on the phone or rather while i'm using uh, my mic and uh, trying to record this episode and everything so i got really no choice except to well except to use use my phone to find all of this stuff and read it to you so anyway another example and this is a completely different page you understand <clears throat> But uh, another example of an INTJ that's in uh, kind of popular media is Obergruppenführer John Smith from The Man in the High Castle. And I'm not going to read this entire thing here, but I'm, I'm going to read just a couple of, you know, little excerpts and stuff and then give you some commentary on my own. So let's see. Uh, but, but, uh, Ober, uh, Obergruppenführer John Smith is a cunning Nazi official whose internal conflict is just beginning to reveal itself by the end of the first season of the show by all accounts he's 
pretty firmly rooted in uh, Nazi party ideals, but as the season progresses, we find out that his deceased brother was disabled, which is something that clearly causes Smith some very deep pain. Then, and this is where I think things kind of start getting a little bit interesting, then his beloved son is diagnosed with that same degenerative disease, which I think is like muscular dystrophy or something like that. I don't remember if they ever actually say, but anyway, whatever. Under... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, then his beloved son is diagnosed with a degenerative disease that under Nazi law can only be treated with termination, which historically, I don't think that's actually true, but whatever. Um, the point of it is, though, uh, basically, uh, Smith, he pretty, he pretty much found himself in a, in a position where he had to do, he had, to, he basically had to break the rules. And one of the examples I used of this sort of uh, free thinking or kind of creative thinking in my last INTJ episode was when I talked about when I worked at a call center and I pretty much had to break the rules in order to sell somebody a, well, not so that I could sell somebody a dedicated server, but so that this customer could buy a dedicated server and basically the company would not lose out on the sale, you know? And so I had to break the rules and pretty much rewrite policy as I went along based on what I needed to do at any given moment. And that's more or less what Smith does, not to spoil the show for anybody, but come on, guys. I mean, it's been on Netflix for how long? You've had plenty of chances to see it. Smith basically does that same thing in, it's either the first season or the second season, I forget which, but basically he kills his son's doctor because his son's doctor is the only person besides Smith himself who knows that uh, his son has some kind of, I don't know, fucked up neurological uh, disorder that under the greater Nazi Reich laws basically require his son to, to be treated with, well, termination. Which, again, I don't think that was actually Nazi party uh, law, but I don't... I'm not a, a real big expert on Nazi Germany, guys, but I'm pretty sure that's a myth. So anyway, but the point of it is... Smith has to go outside the rules in order to do what he believes is right. And I had to go outside the rules. Thank God it didn't require me to commit murder. But um, I had to go outside the rules when I worked in that call center in order to sell somebody a dedicated server. And so that's the kind of creative thinking that we're capable of doing when we're put to it. So that that's this writer's interpretation of things, I guess. So anyway, and there are, are um, uh, some more examples uh, of this. There's uh, Hannibal Lecter, and also Clarice Starling, actually, believe it or not, uh, Edna Mode from The Incredibles. Um, another one is uh, Severus Snape from uh, Harry Potter. And I'm actually going to, I was actually starting to wrap things up, but you know what? I think actually, I, I think I do want to get into this a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to... Yeah, this isn't so long, so I guess I can go ahead and read this. But basically, this page says, There's debate about whether Snape is a thinker or feeler because of how much his emotions influence his behavior. There's also debate about whether he's an INTJ or an ISTJ because of his long-standing devotion to Harry's mother. It's my opinion, meaning the writer's, not me, I'm, what the fuck do I know, but it's, it's the writer of this page's opinion that Snape is an unhealthy INTJ. Unhealthy INTJs are far more influenced by their emotions, that tertiary introverted feeling raising its ugly head. It's entirely possible for an unhealthy INTJ to hang, to hang on to a person or emotion 
from the past for a long time. And guys, I don't want to get too specific about this, but uh, yeah, that's very true, at least of me. So yes, Snape's effective, uh, effectiveness as a spy and his ability to play both sides come from the partnership of his dominant introverted uh, intuition and his inferior uh, extroverted sensing functions, which enable him to absorb raw data from his surroundings and distill it into usable intelligence. His auxiliary extroverted thinking helps keep all that emotion under the hood, which is essential when trying to appear cold-blooded and uncaring to Voldemort and his gang. Snape is a complicated character and one of this writer's favorites in all of fiction, and I kind of have to agree with that. Snape is actually very rich as far as uh, characters are concerned. Another one is uh, Gandalf the Grey from The Hobbit. And I've actually kind of wondered about this. Everyone's always careful to emphasize The Hobbit as opposed to Lord of the Rings, where he, I think, technically has a bigger role. So it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, what the fuck? But uh, <clears throat> anyway, this writer, not me, not Magnus, but this writer says, I recently polled my Twitter followers about whether they think Gandalf is an INTJ or an INFJ. INFJ won by a very slight margin of one vote, but I have to, meaning this writer, I have to type him as an INTJ. His pragmatism, and by the way, so so do a lot of other people, so it's not like this writer is all is all alone or anything. But I have to type him as an INTJ. His pragmatism favors INTJ, but isn't enough to convince me on its own. Ultimately, it's his bluntness that uh, convinces me he has auxiliary extroverted thinking. Gandalf is by far my favorite INTJ in all of fiction. He's the epitome of emotional health in this type, which is to say wise, humorous, and caring, but willing to do what is necessary to save Middle-earth, even when it means putting his friends at risk, which is kind of, sort of, the main thrust of The Hobbit, or at least Bilbo's entry into the story. You know, Gandalf basically recruiting Bilbo, knowing damn good and well this whole uh, business with Smaug and all that, that could get Bilbo killed. And not just killed. I mean, Bilbo could get the shit killed out of him, you know? I mean, this is a horrible way to die. But there are larger objectives that need to be that need to be uh, achieved here. For one thing, there needs to be more resistance against, actually, I guess, first and foremost, uh, the the dwarves need to get their need to get their home back, you know? And so there's a compassionate element of that. But when you dig beneath the surface, what you realize is Gandalf is basically trying to move chess pieces around on the table. He needs to, he needs there to be another, another line of defense against Sauron. Cause Sauron is definitely going to come back. And so when he does, it would be kind of nice if the dwarves are able to kind of have a staging ground of their own from which they can operate and fight in the war, right? So there's that. The other thing is that, you know, whether or not the, the dwarves have uh, Erebor back or not, Smog needs to die. It's, it's no more complicated than that. Gandalf knows he cannot take the chance of, <clears throat> of uh, Sauron recruiting Smog into his army because if he does that, if he has a fucking dragon on his side in uh, this war that's probably going to come and eventually indeed does come in Lord of the Rings, then that's a pretty fucking lopsided 
battle and war that we're talking about here, guys. So it's not exactly small potatoes. And so, you know, yeah, Gandalf is concerned about about Bilbo and his safety. There's no two ways about that. But at the end of the day, there are broader, bigger, and more important issues going on than the safety and well-being of just one hobbit. And, you know, yeah, Gandalf would mourn Bilbo, no two ways about it. But we do what we have to do. And I guess that's the point. So, anyway. And there's a couple of others. You know, Spock and... Uh, let's see. Khan, or at least Khan as he's presented in Star Trek Into Dark, uh, Darkness. Uh, there's Sherlock Holmes. It, it just goes on and on and on. But hopefully what this does is kind of give you a, um, a little bit more of a flavor of what this type is. You know, and I guess basically who INTJs are, what they do, what they're like, what they say, what they think, and all of that. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure if I've uh, cast any extra amount of light on this or anything, but hopefully it all makes a little bit more sense now. So, uh, anyway, as I said in uh, the last episode, guys, I really want you to uh, take one of these Myers-Briggs personality tests and write into me with your own results. I'm kind of curious... Uh, to know, you know, about the listenership of, of at least my audience, because, you know, it is kind of interesting to me as an INTJ that as an INTJ, I have my own podcast and it kind of makes me wonder, you know, is it possible that if you, if any of my listeners like really get into this show, is it because of the fact that I'm kind of speaking from this kind of unusual point of view or for those people who don't get into it? Is it, again, is it, is that the reason? Is that why you're not getting into it, you know? And anyway, I'm just kind of curious about that. You know, what are the compatible personality types, at least as far as my listenership, my listenership is concerned and all of that. You know, it's not like I'm going to put all of this into some kind of fucking Google analytics and try to, you know, work out some kind of marketing scheme. Or am I? But, you know, I'm just kind of curious to know, like, where you guys are coming from. So that, I think, is pretty much it. Now... I think that's pretty much it for me this time. So bye, everybody. I will see you next time.